So far, we have been on a journey together looking at what some of us have studied our entire lives and some of us have never studied. And the reality is, and what I hope that you're coming to, is a place where you see that it is impossible to live a life following Christ without the Holy Spirit. It is impossible. It's not that there's a way that you can do it outside of the Holy Spirit. It is literally impossible to follow Christ without the Holy Spirit. Now, so far where we've been together as a group, the first week I challenged you with a difficult question, and it's not one I came up with, but instead it's one that the apostles demonstrated over and over again as they would talk to someone who had heard the gospel And they said, that is good. I I want that. I want to believe that that's true. And they asked them a very difficult question that some of us ourselves may not be able to answer. And it was this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, the reason that's a difficult question is because it's very easy for us to say, oh, well, I believe. So I guess I have the Holy Spirit. But that was not the case for early believers that we read about in Scripture. Instead, there was an experience. Something happened within them that they would remember whether this had happened. And so what we also saw through that is that not only is receiving the Holy Spirit a memorable experience, but it is possible to believe and there be a time before you actually receive the Holy Spirit. And so what we're going to focus on today is that aspect of How do you receive the Holy Spirit? The second week, what we've talked about are a lot of the different ways that the Holy Spirit is a part of receiving the gospel, which is every part. God calls us and motivates us through the Holy Spirit to have an interest. Whenever the gospel is shared with us, the Holy Spirit helps us to understand it and to receive it because we can't even accept the gospel without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then once we have done that, there is a process or a filling of the Holy Spirit that doesn't happen just once, but happens throughout your life. And in a couple of weeks, what I'm going to do is we're going to actually leave the NUMA series and we're going to start one called Shadow Mission. Because we're going to see what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is in us. Whenever the scripture says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, we're going to look at what does that mean? How do we harness and use that power and what happens when we get out of control so that's what we're going to do in a couple of weeks next week i hope you'll be back because our youth are taking over the service and so they're going to be leading worship they're going to be teaching they're going to be leading us in communion and all kinds of good stuff so it will be a lot of fun and i hope that you'll be back here to support them and last week, Scott, I, I, Deidre and I, we had a conference we had to go to, and, and so I, I dumped on Scott the most difficult of the weeks. He tends to do that. I like to do that. <laughs> now, normally when we do that, we have technical difficulties so that the podcast is not available after Scott teaches, but we did get the podcast this time. I really don't know what happens. Like, two-thirds of his sermons never get recorded, not, not since Jeremy and Wayne have been involved, but before, I don't know what happened, but... It's always the tech guy's fault. It's not, yeah, right. So he tackled a pretty hard topic, the topic of tongues. And some of you grew up, and some of you experienced the gift of tongues in a very personal way in your own personal worship. And he also talked about how tongues was used to share the gospel to people who spoke a different language. So he did a great job. If you'd like to hear that, the podcast is on our website. 
But today I want to wrestle with the question of how do you receive the Holy Spirit? Now, I want to be very careful and I want to just kind of temper your expectations. There is nothing in the life of a person following Christ that follows a prescribed formula that if you check all the boxes, it will happen. So as we enter into this, we enter into this recognizing the Holy Spirit still works very much in a mystery, but he is at work. And as we go through this, I want to, towards the end, I I want to share with you two things that specifically in the book of Acts says will always accompany the receiving of the Holy Spirit. So I want to share that with you today, and I, I hope that you'll stick with me. And I don't want you to get distracted by anything that's on stage with me today, but we're going to have a little bit of fun together as well. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to open to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be jumping around in a few different places. But I want to start here because Paul is instrumental in understanding how the Holy Spirit works. He writes about it more than anyone else in in the New Testament. And so we rely very much on how he is teaching this part of the life of a Christian, which is is a crucial, crucial part. If you you don't have a Bible and you've got your phone, you can follow along on YouVersion. Um, All our scripture and notes are there as well. You can save those and send those to yourself or or visit those later if you would like. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. There's a few things I want you to see here. But let's, let's start with verse 13. It says, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That is, you and I, we are the sleeper, all right? Whenever Christ shines on us, he wakes us up, and we shine the light of Christ as well. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, But understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit, depending on your translation. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ." So a few things I just want you to grasp as we enter into this. What does it look like to walk with the Holy Spirit, to be filled and to live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit? A few things we see, verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. How you walk matters. How you walk matters. Now, there is a movement in the church today that says it's not so much what you do, it's how you feel. Now, I challenge you to show me any other area of life that that is an adequate argument. If I walk into work and I say, I just don't feel like working today, what is your boss going to say to you? That's right. You don't feel like getting a check either, right? Now, what happens when you go home and you have an infant and you walk up to your cute little baby boy or girl and say, I just don't feel like taking care of you today. (laughs) What happens to you? You have to endure crying all day long, right? 
What happens whenever you enter into a relationship and you say, I just don't feel like spending time with you anymore? Relationship's over. There are things that we do, and then there are things that we feel. There is a movement to say how I feel is the most important thing in the world. However, there is nowhere in the world today that you can actually say my feelings are more important than my actions. Everything else falls apart when our actions go by the wayside, including your faith. Because what is true, what has always been true, what will always be true is not how you feel but how you walk. How you walk matters. And I see people all the time saying, well, you know what? I'm just going to contemplate on the Lord here by myself. And let me tell you, those are some great moments in your life. If you don't ever have those kinds of moments, they are great. But that is all you do. And you are not ever walking to show what that contemplation leads to if you don't ever see somebody in need and care for their need, if you don't ever look for an opportunity to serve and then serve just because of your relationship with Christ, then that time of contemplating the Lord really doesn't matter. How you walk matters. Another thing we see in verse 17 is foolishness. This is what Paul equates as foolishness. Foolishness literally equals misunderstanding God's will. All right? Verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So either you're going to act foolishly or you're going to understand what the will of the Lord is. So wisdom is not so much what's smart, but instead, what is God's will? This is going to come into play in just a few minutes because God's will is the centerpiece of everything of what it means to follow him. It is where we submit our own will for his, where we submit our own selves to him. And so foolishness is whenever we misunderstand what God's will is. So it's important, it's crucial for us to have this understanding of his will. Verse 18 says that we are to be filled with the Spirit. Now, it's very easy to read this and think, you know what? I just, once I get saved, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and then I'm good. It's kind of like I go fill up my car. And then I never have to fill it up again. Then that'd be wonderful. You know, it'd be great if we didn't have to keep doing that. But instead, whenever we look at what's happening here, literally the Greek, Greek word pleru means to be filled or to be complete. And in this tense, it literally means to be continually filled. So when we think, well, I've become a Christian, I'm filled. That is a misunderstanding of what Paul is saying, and you are not just filled one time and that's it. Instead, there is a continual filling of the Holy Spirit, which means it is possible that you can be a follower of Jesus, have been filled by the Holy Spirit at one time, and right now not be. It is possible. Now, this is different from the Holy Spirit adopting us into the family of Christ. There is a process by which the Holy Spirit continues to fill us. And so what Paul is saying is literally continually be filled. This is going to be important here in just a few minutes. Again, verse 18, be continually filled by the Holy Spirit. Verse 19 shows what happens when this begins to happen within your life. You begin to relate to each other differently, but importantly, we sing to the Lord with our hearts. I want to talk about this a little more detail in just a few minutes as well. 
But this is what we see Paul saying. You will sing to the Lord with your heart. You will worship with your heart. Now, that's good for some of us because the louder we worship with our mouths, the more we turn people off. Amen? We just ought not sing very loud or be amplified at any time while we're singing. Others, you sing and it's like, I want more. I want more. That's so good. That's so good. Do you have any CDs or download anything you've done? But this is literally saying you can worship and the most vital important worship will never be what comes out of your mouth. It is always what happens with your heart. In fact, what we'll find is that Jesus says you can worship with your mouth and completely miss it with your heart. But you will never worship with your heart and miss it with your mouth. It all starts in the heart. So what Paul is saying is as we go through this, we will sing to the Lord. But what I want you to see most from this is that we will continually be filled by the Holy Spirit. Now, if we jump ahead to Galatians, to Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, then what we're going to find is that Paul is also going to describe this kind of life as keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. So he's, again, talking about how crucial it is for us to continue to walk in the Spirit. Verse 16 of chapter 5 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit. Again, walk. There's an action. There is a way of doing things. There's a way of living. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Obviously, there's a difference between walking by the Spirit and the desires, the natural desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you were led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Let me just stop there for a second. When you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What does that mean? Aren't we as Christians not under the law anymore? Didn't Jesus say that if we follow him, we're not going to be under the law? And the reality is, is that the law is misunderstood today when we refuse to read the Old Testament. You know, part of the problem that we have today in in our current culture, and it's not just generational. I mean, it's been happening for, it's been happening for a long time. This is just kind of how we live. Rather than looking at the big picture, we think about what's, what's relevant to me right now in the moment. And we ignore everything else. And what we tend to do in the church is we tend to focus on the New Testament. Because, right, Jesus has come. It's A.D., you know, after death. That's all that matters. Jesus changes everything. Nothing else matters. And you can embrace that idea until you read the Old Testament. And then when you read Jesus saying, I've not come to abolish this. I've come to fulfill it. And so the Old Testament was a way for us to understand God differently. And very much in the Old Testament, how we walked mattered. And Jesus is not saying, now it doesn't matter how you walk. Paul is not saying, now that you have the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter how you walk. But when you walk in the Holy Spirit, You don't need the law to remind you. The Holy Spirit will move you in the ways that honor God. So you are free from the law because you're walking supernaturally just as God wants you to. So it's not that the law is done away with. We'll come back to that. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Did you get your issue in there? 
I bet most of us find an issue that's ours in there somewhere. I won't make you tell us what it is. Verse 22 says, or no, verse 21, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, the Spirit will do something within us, these things that are evident in us, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I know there were some donuts out there for our Kidmo meeting this morning. And they were probably still out there when some of you walked in who are on a diet and said you would not eat a donut. Did any of you have problems with self-control this morning? You didn't know there were donuts? Well, stick around. Don't leave to go get a donut right now. All right? As I read through those, I often think, God, man, I'm a terrible Christian. (laughs) Do you ever do that? I mean, there are sometimes I'm really good at love. And then there are some people that I'm just not. I really struggle to love them. And I know that there are some people that love me very easily. And then there are some people that really struggle to love me. And I appreciate that they struggle (laughs) with that. There are times that I'm absolutely at peace. There are times I'm absolutely not at peace. There are times I have patience. Well, that's probably a lie. I really don't often have patience. But I'm sure there are moments that I have patience. You know, as we go through these, it's very easy to say, oh, yes, I can see God at work in me. And then we come to something like self-control. And it's like, I've been on the same diet for 16 years, you know, and I weigh more than I did when I started. I have no self-control. It's easy to look at those and say, wow, I'm just not a good Christian. That is not the point of Paul saying this. What he is saying is the Spirit has an impact on us. And as we mature, hopefully more of these things will become more and more evident in your life. Verse 23, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law because these are the things of God. There doesn't need to be a law. These are the things that matter to God. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is where my concern for us today is. How do we keep in step with the Spirit? Now, if some of you kind of came up in a more charismatic or Pentecostal background, and Holy Spirit is your love language. <laughs> I mean, you start talking about the Holy Spirit, and your, your foot starts tapping, just sitting there, just thinking about the Holy Spirit. I mean, you just get excited about it. It has been breathed into you from the moment you heard any scripture whatsoever. But if you came from a more conservative religious background, you maybe never heard of the Holy Spirit. When I grew up, we called it the Holy Ghost because we didn't want we didn't understand it and we didn't want to explain it. We just said it was the Holy Ghost. But if we don't understand how crucial the Holy Spirit is in our walk with Christ, you and I could literally attend church every single week. We can serve every single week. We can tithe. We can go out of these walls and tell people about Christ. And we can do all of these things over and over and over again. But without the Holy Spirit, all of it means nothing. Nothing. So if you and I are not walking in step with the Spirit, then our faith is literally worthless. If you are not walking in step with the Spirit, our faith is worthless. 
Now, why is that? One of the reasons that is, is because our faith is demonstrated by what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. Let me, let me show you what I mean by that. Before we jump to that, Galatians 5.16. Walking by the Spirit looks different from walking without the Spirit or walking by the flesh. Additionally, walking by the Spirit has tangible effects in your life. That's the fruit of the Spirit. It's going to have tangible effects. And not only that, but these aren't the only effects of walking with the Spirit. There are all kinds of other things that are effects of walking with the Spirit. Hope is an effect of walking with the Spirit. Living a meaningful life of purpose is an effect of walking with the Spirit. Experiencing wholeness is an effect of walking with the Spirit. So we don't simply look at the fruit of the Spirit or look at a few of these verses and say, well, that's it. That's what it's going to look like. Because if we do that, then we do say, well, I was not patient today. I am not walking in the Spirit. (laughs) I'm not at peace right now. Our lives are falling apart. Well, you must not be walking in the Spirit. There are other effects of walking in the Spirit as well. But this leads us to the basic question of how do you receive the Holy Spirit? Is it that we believe? Is it simply just belief? Major, or one, a major problem in the evangelical church today, of which we ourselves are a part, is that we have made knowing Christ about belief only. So here's what we'll do. You come in, you're looking, you're curious, and we say something to the effect of, if you will believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you will believe that he died on the cross for your sins, if you will believe that God raised him from the dead, if you will believe that if you repent, then you will be forgiven, then you will be saved, which sounds very biblical, doesn't it? But The problem with belief being the indicator of walking with Christ The scripture also says that even the demons believe and they shudder. The fact that they shudder demonstrates that their belief is true. Their belief is real. Their belief is tangible. Maybe some of our belief is also true and tangible. I believe these things to be true. But what Paul is saying is that's not enough. It's not enough to believe. You see, I can believe a lot of things. I can believe that I need to show up for work and not show up for work. I can believe I need to be faithful to my spouse and not be faithful to my spouse. I can believe that I'm supposed to plan for the future and never plan for the future. I can believe a lot of things and not actually do anything about that belief, even though I believe it to be true. And someone's going to say, well, if you really believed it, you really would do it. And I would say, you are absolutely correct. But it is almost as difficult to tell in our daily lives as it is in our faith life. So belief is not enough. We can believe a lot of good things, but it's not belief. How do you receive the Holy Spirit? Is it going to church? It would be great if it were going to church. Because I can do that. I can put that in my calendar. I can set a reminder. Is it reading your Bible? I can do that. How much do I have to read? Do I have to read a chapter a day, a few verses a day, a whole book a day? I mean, what do I got to do 
in order to receive the Holy Spirit? Do I have to pray? What about tithing? Tithing, surely, I mean, surely that will get me the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's the kind of mindset that Simon had that we looked at, that Simon said, I have seen you do incredible things through the Holy Spirit. How can I do that too? Because Simon didn't get it. He believed, but his heart never changed. All it leads to what else could it be to receive the Holy Spirit? Is it a secret handshake? We talk about the Holy Spirit being mystery. Is it a secret handshake? I can't give you a five-step plan on how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but what I can do is I can share with you what always accompanies the receiving of the Holy Spirit that we read about, Luke writes about in Acts. Now, if you remember, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he wrote Acts all within just a few weeks of each other. And he was trying to help a friend understand what is all this that's happening with the gospel. So in Acts, apart from receiving the gospel, there are two primary activities that precede the filling of the Holy Spirit. Again, we have to enter into this very carefully because if we jump into it and we just say, hey, I just need to go do these two things, we will miss really the bigger picture. The first one is true, heartfelt praise and worship. In Acts, the filling of the Holy Spirit is always preceded by true, heartfelt praise and worship. Acts chapter 10, verse 44 says, Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. So the Holy Spirit has come. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Now, as we've talked about already a couple of times through this series, we often see when the Holy Spirit comes, those who receive it speak in tongues. But we don't see it every single time. There are times that those that receive the Holy Spirit never speak in tongues. And as Scott talked about last week, Paul himself says, if I'm going to have a gift, I would rather it not be the ability to speak a different language or the prayer language. I would rather be able to just clearly communicate the gospel with people. So the Holy Spirit does not always mean you're going to speak in tongues, but it does always, it is always preceded with true heartfelt worship. This goes back to what I talked about a little earlier. You can worship with your mouth and not worship with your heart. But it is impossible to worship with your heart and not worship with your mouth. Jesus describes it like this in Matthew 15. He says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. This area of worship, it is very hard for me to teach on. Because worship cannot be taught like a skill is taught. Whenever we talk about worship, whenever Scripture talks about what it means to worship, we can come back to the example of Christ because what Christ does is Christ does not just sing songs. He doesn't just find out what the latest praise music is. What Christ does is he elevates his heart to show ultimate worth and value of his Father. See, whenever we truly worship, we have come to a place that recognizes that God is the greatest, highest, most 
wonderful treasure that can be had in all of existence. What is for you your greatest treasure? That may be a hard question to answer. What is your greatest treasure? Some of you know, well, it's God. I mean, you're following me, it's God. But I mean seriously. What is your greatest treasure? It's been said that if you want to find out what your greatest treasure is, you just got to look at where you spend your time, your talents, and your finances. Open up a checkbook. Open up your appointment book. Ask yourselves, where am I wanting to spend the most time and the most resources that I have? That's probably the thing where you worship. Now, that does not mean that you need to write a tithe check higher than any other expense that you have in a month. Although, if you want to do that, I will not argue with you. The truth is, if we were to do that, we would not have a place to live, and we would be hungry at the end of every month. So the point is not cumulatively, okay, God, I want to prove that you are the most important to me, so I make so much money, over half of it I'm going to give you. God never asked that of us. That is not what it looks like to honestly follow him. However, Whenever we get past the basics of survival, and I don't mean that we have to survive in a penthouse or we have to survive with, you know, heated leather seats. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not trying to tell you how to spend your survival money. But at some point when you have money left over, where are you spending it on? Scripture describes tithing, not the fact of how much you give, but that you give it first. And so as we look at a heart of worship, we ask ourselves, what do we value most? Another way you can find out what you worship is where do you get most excited? Some of you, your object of worship has changed as of yesterday. You're not really excited about football anymore. Some of you, and I really don't really need any hands, are really excited after yesterday. Please don't raise your hand. We don't want any violence to break out here this morning. You get really excited about football. I get really excited about my hobbies. I get really excited about the things that, that I get to do in my free time. I get really excited about my favorite shows or going to watch a movie. I get really excited about going to work. I said not many people ever, <laughs> but maybe it is for you. But another way to tell is where do you go when everything falls apart? You see, you go to your treasure when everything begins to fall apart. Whenever you're down in the dumps and you're struggling, where do you go? You go to the store, you stock up. My treasure, my comfort foods. Do I go see a movie because it reminds me that I don't have to think about this? Is it alcohol? Drugs? Is that how you deal with your heartache and your stress and your pain? Or do you fall back into the arms of your Savior in those moments where you are struggling? What is your greatest treasure? See, when you know what your greatest treasure is, when God is your greatest treasure, what we sing doesn't so much matter on Sunday mornings, but instead our ability to just communicate with everything that we are that God is of ultimate worth and value. That is worship. True heartfelt worship, which is why it is possible to sing songs about Jesus and not feel that he is our ultimate treasure. But true heartfelt worship recognizes 
that He is. And you cannot fake heartfelt worship. Is He the center of everything for you? The second thing that we see in Acts is that what we worship, or that we worship that we hold is utmost value in this world. Okay, that was what I just said. The second thing we see is obedience. I will tell you, every time I ever talk about obedience, somebody stops coming to church. (laughs) It just happens. Nobody likes to talk about obedience. We don't talk about it in marriage, right? Probably a good thing. We're actually supposed to be submissive to each other, not obey one person, or we, anyways, that's another sermon. We don't like to talk about obedience with our kids because we want our kids to develop who they're going to become. Not in my house. (laughs) I'm to obey. But as we look through the apostles' teaching, what we find is that obedience is always a part of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, we walk back to how we walk matters. How we walk matters. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles are teaching in the temple. They've been in a lot of trouble. This is soon after Jesus has been crucified. He has uh, come back from the dead. He's appeared to the apostles, and then he's ascended into heaven, and he's told them to go out and spread the gospel. All right? Those who killed Jesus did not like this. And so they were doing everything they could to silence all of the apostles. And this is what happens at this moment. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence. For they were afraid the people would stone them. Because the people were really interested in what they were saying. They were kind of over the old system where the priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees ruled the roost. They They knew that was not right. Then they brought the apostles before the high council, where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in in this man's name, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death, which they were. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. Look at this, verse 32. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who... That doesn't feel good. Is there any room for interpretation differences here? Yes, it would be nice. The Holy Spirit comes to those who obey Him. Now, now's where we can get to the list, right? Well, which ones do I, do I have to obey? Which ones are suggestions, but I don't really have to? And there is no such list. And the problem with trying to make obedience about a list is that you you will never truly find them all. And if you're obeying because you're hoping to get the Holy Spirit, then you will give up. Because obedience is not so much about us making sure we don't ever mess up. Instead, it comes back to the first thing that we mentioned, a heart of worship. Because when Jesus is our treasure, it is not a burden to obey Him. 
This is what, where the mystery of the Holy Spirit comes in. And this is why I always hesitate to talk about process. Because process always fails when it comes to walking with Christ. Instead, it's always, 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 just as Samuel was instructed to choose the first king, or not the first king, but the, David as a replacement of Saul, he said, God looks on the what? Heart. Now, when I love someone who is an authority over me, I'm eager to obey them. I'm eager. I wasn't always eager. I love my parents. My parents would instruct me to obey them, and there were several periods of my life that I did not enjoy doing that. I didn't always do it. I always got in trouble if they found out, but I didn't enjoy it. But as we grow and as we mature, if we love those who are in authority over us, we are eager to obey. It's not a burden. And we believe that by obeying them, good things will happen. If Jesus is the pinnacle, our treasure, if he is the utmost value of what we can have within our lives, then obeying him is not a burden. Obeying him is life. And we begin to understand that naturally, we as natural men and women are never going to fully be able to follow Jesus on our own. We just can't get it. Scripture describes it that we are all dead in our sins and trespasses. None of us are good, not even one. As much as we try to find redeeming values in humanity and in ourselves, the only redeeming qualities are the things that God has put in us. And so when he's of utmost value to us, obeying ceases to be, i got to read my Bible today. I don't want to, but I'm going to because God wants me to. I'm going to go to church today. I don't want to, but God wants me to. Instead, obedience becomes an opportunity to experience life that you don't have otherwise. Obedience to God's word is the most visible indicator that a person has come to truly know Christ. As we look at what's happening in the church, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, there's all kinds of people writing articles about why millennials are leaving the church. And it's anywhere from the color of your paint to the style of your worship to what you do on social media and your sermon topics and blah, 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 blah. I mean, there's all kinds of people standing in line telling us why millennials are not coming to church. And the truth is that millennials who know Jesus are still coming to church. The majority of people who are leaving the church are the people that got some value out of claiming the name Christian, but Jesus was never the center of their worship. We now live in a culture that is no longer cool. There's no social redeeming value. It's no longer desirable to have Christian next to your name. And so those that don't love Jesus say it's too costly to continue to do this. People don't like me anymore. People don't welcome me the way they used to. And so they walk away from the church. Is that the stereotype for every single person who walks away? Absolutely not. There are all kinds of things that happen. People get hurt. People get bruised. There there are times that churches do 
terrible things. It's certainly not the case for everybody. But by and large, that is what's happening when people say people are leaving the church. No one who has ever seen Jesus for who he is, accepted him and has been filled by the Spirit, has ever walked away from him. You think, Mark, that doesn't sound right. But if you'll remember when Jesus talked about the parable of the sower, what did he say? The gospel is going to go out. Some of it's going to fall on the the ground on the road, and it's just going to get trampled. It's never going to take root. These are the people that they just, they're never in. They don't ever want to have anything to do with this. And then you have those that it's just fertile ground, and the seed falls, and it takes root, and they're so excited, and Jesus becomes the center of their life, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they sprout, and they bear fruit, and people look at them and say, there's something just different about them. And then you have... The soil that seed takes root and it begins to grow and then the thorns begin to strangle it out of them and the world just says, Jesus isn't all that. It's just not worth it. And they agree and then they walk away. They never truly saw Jesus for his value of who he really is. I know what I'm saying feels very exclusive like my desire is to just let tell people they're not in, they're not good enough. And I, I just tell you that I, we've devoted our lives to getting as many people to know Christ as possible. But the truth is, not everyone's going to receive it. And there are some that are going to sound like they are, but their heart never really changes. And when we live in this evangelical culture that says, all you got to do is believe, then we set them up for failure. We don't tell them there's something more than belief. And it will move you and motivate you to change. It will motivate the way that you walk and live your life because how you walk matters. And if we think, you know what? I just, I got to really buckle down this week. (laughs) Sometimes I do this. I got to really buckle down this week and show God he's important to me. I mean, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship. I'm going to be at a stop stoplight. I don't care who looks in my window. I'm going to sing praises to him. I'm going to just kill it this week. And when you see me next week, I'm going to glow like Moses. I'm going to be so full of the Holy Spirit that you're going to be like, Mark, what did you do? And I'm going to be like, this is what I did. Wouldn't it be great if I could do that really hard one week and then it just lasted? Wouldn't it be great? So let me just I want to do something real quickly. Just to just to demonstrate what I think is so crucial at what it looks like to be constantly filled. I, does anybody like chocolate milk? Yeah. <laughs> I need I need two people who really like chocolate milk. And I, this is this is come, come on, Leslie. <laughs> Hands off until I give you instructions. Don't down the whole picture, all right? I need one more person. All right, David, come on up. Hey, you guys that I'm not, you all can grab a cup later, all right? I may have put something in the chocolate milk that you don't know about. Now, the reason I got, I I chose chocolate milk, I was going to do water or like grape juice or something because that's more spiritual, but... um, (laughs) I mean, everybody loves chocolate milk, right? And this is not low fat. 
This is a real thing. So here's what I, here's what I want you to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pour you each some. I want you to think about this. You feel loved? I feel loved so much. Your, your, the, your, your love language is chocolate milk. Okay, we'll pass that on to Phil, and the kids should know that. All right, so here's what I want you. I want you to drink it, but as you're drinking it, all right, I want you to think about how you're describing what you're experiencing, okay? And I want you to use as many visual words as possible to describe what you've just had, okay? All right, go ahead. Go ahead, whenever you're ready. Now, nope, nope, nope. No cheating, no cheating. Oh, it's smooth. It's creamy. Yeah, down it, just down it. But then it's gone. Yeah, exactly. I want to savor the flavor. No, just down it. We don't have time. Hey, listen, they got to go to lunch here. Thank you. All right, hang out. Hang out. All right. So tell me, Leslie, yeah. tell me what your experience was. Um, I wanted more. Go ahead. Before I even, I still want more. Do you? I'm watching him get it, and I'm not. You know. Go ahead. You can have another one. Don't be polite. She wouldn't share hers with you. Go ahead. Hey, we're, we're completely removing all gender roles here. You're, don't be polite. Go ahead. Um, I, I, happy. Yeah? Super, super happy. Yeah. Anything else? Um, how, how about for you? Good. That's a good response. You, oh, come on now. Listen. Be real. That's you good. You have to love me. You can't tell him how to love me. Down it. Either. Down it. You're, you're, you're helping me out by downing that drink, David. Thank you. So how was it? Refreshing. Good, wasn't it? Good. You need some donuts up here? Yeah. All right. You want some more? Anybody got a blade? I do. How are you feeling right now? I'm feeling neglected, man. Why are you feeling neglected? And I feel like it's intentional. It could be. I feel like I'm this is a sermon illustration. I'm being excluded. Um, I'm being profiled. Okay. <laughs> So, was it not good? It was, but it wasn't enough. It was good, but it wasn't. Okay. It's never enough. Do you want more? You can have more if you want more. You do want more. All right. Now we're getting honest. There we go. Now we're, now we're getting somewhere. All right. But really, seriously, how was it when you had it? It was delicious, wasn't it? And, and I felt loved. And you felt loved, yes. But you don't feel love now. No, I feel uh, uh, pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. She don't want to know how Tell her how the third one tastes. <laughs> fourth one. How does the fourth one taste? Thanks. Here, want to put a little bleach in my eyes, a little salt in my wound? All right, here you go. Here you go. All right. You can finish that, and then y'all can fight over it. We're done. Go ahead. All right. Thank you for being a good sport. You can go take, yeah, they're, <laughs> they're going to just stay up here now. Okay. Now, so that's not going exactly how I pictured it in my mind. If we could experience the whole, y'all just hang out. Wow. Okay. If we can experience the Holy Spirit in a moment, it's wonderful. 
But the truth is, y'all can have a seat now. Good grief. <laughs> Illustration's over. They're hijacking my sermon. But this is, and some of you are just, you're, I've lost you too. You're thinking, I'm stopping to get me some chocolate milk when we leave here. I, my, my, my mouth is watering. It is so good. It's so tasty. Now, oh, it's Borden's the best. Borden's is better than Mayfield, I think. Anyways, so this is the difference between being filled and being continually filled. You see, what we, a lot of us do is we have an experience with Christ, and it is a significant, undeniable experience with Christ. And we think about it, and we talk about it. And when we share our faith with somebody else, we recall that event. Let me tell you what Jesus did in my life. But what Paul teaches us is, if you're walking in step with the Spirit you can eventually empty back out. And it is up to you to walk in step to continually be refilled. I say it's up to you. As we've already seen, the Holy Spirit acts in ways that we cannot always understand or explain. But the continuing, the continual feeling, filling of the Holy Spirit is what it looks like to follow Him. Jesus describes it in a parable like this, and then we're going to close. John chapter 15, this is the parable of the vine and the vine dresser. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the, is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in you, in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I've lost my place. Verse 6, thank you. I can't find verse 6. Thank you. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But this, but th- by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... You abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. In other words, obey me as I have obeyed my Father. We had a great discussion on Wednesday night where our Trinitarian doctrine kind of messes with some of this, and we're trying to understand. But Jesus continually says, I worship my Father. I obey my Father. I don't do my will. I do the will of my Father, which kind of gets a little messy because Jesus is part of the Godhead, right? But what he's doing is not somehow saying, I'm not as good as the Father. What he's saying is, I'm showing you what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. And so obeying is such a crucial part of this. 
Verse 11 says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full because that is what happens when we worship him and when we obey him because he is the center of our treasure. That's what happens. Now, it would be irresponsible of me to say, if you are a good Christian, you are just, it's, everything's always going to be good. It would be irresponsible of me to say that. And it's not what this is about. Walking in step with the Spirit means that when life is not good, it changes how we deal with life. We go to Him. We rest in Him. We expect Him. We ask Him, how do I honor you when right now I feel empty? We worship Him in our hearts. Even when we're thinking, God, life is terrible. (laughs) He is still the center of our treasure. And when we look at whatever is causing our life to be terrible, we recognize that no matter how terrible it is, the fact that we have Christ is so much more superior than whatever bad thing is happening. At least no matter what's happening here, I have Him. And he loves me. So how do I kind of end this today? I'll be honest. I've kind of struggled with how I end this. I'm going to go ahead and if you guys want to come on out and get ready for this last song. I hope they don't get stuck on the chocolate milk too. No, I don't want you to touch it, Leslie. <laughs> There's going to be some lip, lip marks on there here in just a minute. Here's how I want to end this, this series and this day. I in no way, because all of us have come from different backgrounds and experiences, want to diminish the experience you've had with Christ. It is not my place. It is not my intent. You may not have experienced Christ exactly the way I have described. And that does not mean you do not know Christ. That is not my purpose. That is not my hope We're not going to have an altar call that says, now you have to do it this way. If you have made Jesus the center of your life, and he is of the utmost prize within your life, then you have had a radical experience with Christ. And no, you did not come to that place on your own. It wasn't because of a sermon. It wasn't because of a song. It wasn't because of a Bible study. It wasn't because you attended church every week. It's because the Holy Spirit was active in your life and you responded. But what I want you to know is that if you stopped there and you thought, I've done it, I've arrived, I'm done. I want you to know that God has so much more in store for you. And we cannot experience that. Just as Jesus said, abide in me, I'm going to abide in you. And when you do that, your joy will be full. And scripture does not say joy means lack of hurt or pain. You can have joy even in the midst of hurt and pain. So as we close this series, I just here's what I, my hope is. That you will, within your time of prayer and worship, will cry out for God to show you these things. Because one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to help unlock this, all these secrets within you. It's to help you understand Scripture. So if you're not reading Scripture, th- there's nothing for the Holy Spirit to work with. Because you don't have any Scripture. 
So it may mean reading more scripture, but the Holy Spirit will unlock that. And I encourage some of you who have kept in step and you have followed the Holy Spirit, and it has cost you. It has cost you friends. It may have cost you jobs or promotions. I just want to encourage you that Jesus is our greatest treasure. Keep him in the place of your greatest treasure. And you will not have to come up with a list of how you're supposed to walk. You will not have to come up with a list on how you're supposed to obey. You will find joy in following the teachings of Christ because you see there is life there. There's so much more life there than just coming to church every week and singing the songs you're supposed to sing and reading because you're supposed to read and coming to Bible study because you're supposed to come to Bible study and I'm serving because I'm supposed to serve. If that is our motivation, we will burn out and we will die inside. And people do it every single week. When the Holy Spirit is in us, we are walking in step with Him. We will find joy. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I pray for those in this room they, this is, they, this is, they're living this right now within their life. This is their everyday reality, and they are so full of joy and excitement of, of what you are doing and where you're taking them. God, I'm just so thankful for not only their testimony, but their ministry to us, and that they demonstrate that every time we see them. Father, I pray for those in the room, and they have just heard about belief all their life, but they've never heard that you are active through the Holy Spirit and want to do something continually, fulfilling them over and over again within their lives, throughout their lives. I pray that you will help them to experience that in a way that brings them new life and new excitement about their faith. Pray for those in the room today who are discouraged and they're tired and they're beat down. Life's not going the way they had hoped. They're thinking about giving up and they're thinking about walking away and they're not even sure you're real because their life still is difficult. I I pray you will allow their ground to be fertile and as the gospel penetrates, it will grow deep roots and sprout fruit within their lives. That they will experience you in a way that they will remember so that if anyone asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? They can say, yes, and it changed me. Father, I thank you that your love for us is so overwhelming and complete that while we were still sinners, you you gave us this opportunity to know you. You bridged the gap and you brought us to you and then you helped us to receive the good news and when we did, you came into our hearts. You adopted us into your family that we can know we can be with you forever. Father, help us to experience that every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.